When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back, everybody. I have a background. Ben does not yet. <laughs> We're working on it. Week by week, you'll see us improving. We're halfway there. <laughs> so I get, did get to read a little bit this week. Cool. That we're, that we're back to normal after our move. I read some of the psychology of money, which is got some interesting pieces. I'll, I'll dig out the ones that were related to that. The one that I just read was about, it just had this one anecdote that made me think. You know Jack Welch, who was the CEO of General Electric for a long time? Mm-hmm. We were growing up, General Electric was like just the standard awesome company that just did solidly always and forever. And Jack Welch was like, he was actually the CEO whose name you knew if you knew anything about business back in the day. Yeah. I don't think I could have named, like there were no superstar Elon Musks at the time, but there was a Jack Welch who was just like, yes, this guy is the business guy. Yeah. 25 years ago, he was the Mm -hmm. Elon Musk-esque person. Yes. Um, Elon is in a different league today. Like he's a celebrity uh, in terms of CSS. But I thought this was interesting. Uh, GE has sucked for the last while. And one of the stories that this book uh, insinuates his cause it is that when Jack Welch was CEO, he would get departments to play accounting games in order to beat Wall Street earnings. And he was committed to always beating whatever the Wall Street earnings said that he could have. And he would have... They said it was nothing illegal. And again, this is sort of coming from this book and a little bit of Google research, and, but people have commented on it since. It was nothing illegal, but definitely not up to GAAP standards, which wasn't around at the time, which is an accounting principle standard. Uh, and people would make up shortfalls for other departments and they'd borrow against the future in order to like, you know, mm-hmm. get revenue and, and always beat earnings. And it just made me think like, was this guy great or was he great at kicking the explosive downfall of GE 20 years down the line, you know, or 10 years down the line to the next guy. And obviously there's a ton more stuff happening in terms of the lack of innovation. Like GE used to have all the cool stuff and now maybe my blender is GE, but probably not <laughs> at this point. I just thought it was interesting how uh, I, I literally was not into business, knew this guy's name, read about him, knew what an amazing CEO and how he did things. And he wrote a book that everybody followed. And he might have set a time bomb that, <laughs> just exploded after he got out of there. Yeah, maybe. Which is which is incredible. And uh, I don't know if you have any thoughts on that, but no, I mean that's not surprising. I yeah, think a lot people often do what they're incentivized to do. Mm-hmm. So if Jack Welsh felt that his incentives were to make the best products, that would he would behave one way. But if he felt that his incentives were to beat Wall Street earnings, mm-hmm. I think that probably happens a lot to this day in a lot of companies. Yeah, it's people win the game that they're paid to win. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the game was not make GE uh, successful after I leave. The game was beat earnings, keep my job, make a lot of money, sell a lot of books, saying how great a CEO I am. 
And most of those sales are going to come in the first, you know, period after it comes out. Yeah, I don't know how to get people to play longer-term games. We've talked about this. The only thing that seems to be able to make people play long-term games against their financial interests is ideology, including religion. Uh, so, yeah, there's, there's a value to some of that stuff. Another thing that came up, which made me think, this was semi-related to the money. Um, this was from Alex Hormozzi, actually. I was rereading his $100 million offer book. And he says something that Naval Ravikant says, which is that desire is a contract not to be happy until we get what we want. Uh, but also that the role of a business is to make people desire a thing and exchange money. And if you just substitute that, you get the role of a business is to make people not happy <laughs> until they get what they want in exchange for money. And I think that there are industries that that's not necessarily true. Like you need to eat, you don't need to be marketed, mm -hmm. but pretty much and I, and I was thinking about this, I'm curious what you think. There is a degree of truth to that, which is that so much of business success is in convincing people that they are not happy enough and that they would be happy if they completed sure. some sort of purchase. I mean, just look purchase. at the latest, the latest version of marketing, which is social media marketing, is mm -hmm. people photoshopping their lives to an unattainable, literally they don't even look like this, and they're renting out props that look mm -hmm. like private jets but aren't private jets also they can say i live this life your life is worse than this do you want my fit tea do you want my business coaching do you want my whatever it is mm -hmm. and they're just trying to make you feel inadequate by showing you their life that isn't real yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that's just i mean and it's marketing 101 is stoke the pain stoke someone's inadequacy stoke someone's feeling that they aren't enough until they buy your thing. I guess what's crazy is that the, the reward for winning that game where you, you know, let's assume that you're selling something that doesn't make people happy or contribute to their continued survival, like food or shelter. Uh, the reward for that game is more money, which then doesn't make you happy. <laughs> you know yeah, what I mean? We, we've like, talked about this before. <laughs> like people, first of all, I just want to say being poor is very hard and yeah, not yeah. everybody has a good stock in life. But people today that think that they have a bad hand, have access to food in a way that only kings had previously. Mm -hmm. And their iPhone and their Netflix on their laptop gives them more entertainment than a pharaoh with a hundred court jesters. Mm -hmm. But they feel like shit because they don't have enough compared to what they look at around them. Like all of consumerism is comparative mm -hmm. because if you just took someone, plopped them back in time, but gave them their iPhone and they had the ability to get food in the same way, but no one else could see the stores, they'd be the best off person and they'd be very happy because yeah, yeah. of it. Like their happiness comes from the comparison or I mean, their I've, lack of happiness. I comes felt from the that comparison. in Costa Rica when I lived there, which was, and even, you know, a couple friends, well, these were when iPhones were out, like a few friends had flip phones and like, that was awesome because <laughs> you could like use that to coordinate with people. Otherwise, we used to have to make collect calls and scream where you were in the exact moment. So, you know, you call ATT and they'd be like, I'm right in front of the school. Meet me in five minutes <laughs> when you say your name. Your name is. Uh, but I was happy there. So many of the people that I encounter were happy there. They did the World Happiness Survey. I think they ranked number three on the list. Yeah, at one point, I think they were number one. Yeah. And it's, I think, Vanatu beat them. That was, and that was like a point of, uh, uh, we could be happier. <laughs> yeah, mostly, if I remember correctly, you were eating rice and beans. Your shower barely yeah. worked. You had oh no, 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 like didn't have hot water. Didn't eat meat more than a handful of times a week. But no one around you did, and no one expected you to. Yes, which made it easier to be happy. Yes, mm -hmm. uh, 
and and there were things that you know you could change and make and around the edges to contribute to happiness. But yeah, then then I've I've come back to America and have a ridiculous amount more than that. But I guess I'm not. I don't know that I'm any happier than I was then, which is fucking insane. Yeah. I was talking about the. Um, I had a conversation with Ali about uh, the part-time YouTuber company. We're launching this course, teaching people how to do YouTube. And one of the questions was, how do I not feel bad when a video duds? Mm-hmm. I've said this before, but I was like, just so you know, YouTube analytics is not your friend. Like YouTube analytics is there to make you feel miserable with their little up arrow if you have a one out of 10 and a down arrow if you have a 10 out of 10. Yeah. Like that's a completely relative measure divorced from what you actually want and need and would make you happy in life. And nowhere in YouTube analytics does it say like, one out of 10, you enjoyed this video. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, like fun to make. one out of 10, uh, like you hard. learned a lot. <laughs> like one out of 10, you spent time with the family this week. Like yeah. the only thing is like, did it get more views than the recent well, I actually videos? Don't, I, don't, I don't know if it's YouTubers informing the software, but I actually bet mm-hmm. it's the software informing YouTubers. Oh, Most totally, totally. The YouTubers that you talk to don't talk about their lifestyle and they don't talk about the amount of money they make. They mm-hmm. talk about growing views and growing yeah. subscribers, which is exactly what you see every day on the dashboard. Almost to an illogical degree because you should be you, you would mm-hmm. think someone would be going how like am I helping people? Is my life good? Am yeah. I happy? Am I making money? And that that rarely comes up at YouTuber conferences when you're mm-hmm. talking to people. Now maybe they just think they're trying to speak your language when they talk subs and views, but Probably there's a bit of training because that's what what gets measured gets yeah. managed. Well, this was this was the uh, the thing that I crystallized is if you are in a growth goal oriented part of your life, which is totally fine. I think you need to build your own dashboard, mm-hmm. and like that can look like the whiteboard that we had in Brazil. I was just thinking that that had it had four things that, and then all of our names on it in a little grid fashion. What was it? Social <laughs> work, like gym, fitness, and sunshine. I think <laughs> fitness and like fun yeah. and like. They were all weighted equally. And so if Oh you, yeah, if you didn't work, but you got sunshine, talked to someone you're attracted to, did some sort of fun sport thing with your friend. That was just, that was like 75% days were awesome. Yep. You know, Dude, that's like, that's great. Well done. And so we were filling in our little dashboards. And then if you left, if work was a zero three days in a row, you're like, oh, all right. Because it does also show you where you're on a hot streak. You're yes. Like, I'm on a sun hot streak, but not on a work hot streak. Yes. And I don't remember exactly, but there were only four dimensions. No and one made any money and everyone was extremely happy. And one of them was work. But but we did, I actually think, build the foundation for what I know we did. Well, yeah, obviously. <laughs> like, <laughs> obviously, we built the we foundation. We did build the foundations for it. for it. It it gave us a longer runway. It made us make decisions that were long-term oriented because we weren't so stressed about making money. And just, yeah, that idea that if you are going to pursue a goal and you're not in that like Eastern philosophy, just be stage of life where you're not measuring anything you have to build your own dashboard mm-hmm. and it can look like a whiteboard or a spreadsheet and it needs to include the things that you sit down philosophically and determine actually matter and are important in your life. And so like probably uh, time with people I love should be on there. Yeah, and health. Like, did I enjoy the process of whatever it is that earned me money should be on there? Um, Cause yeah, man, that'll scream at you sometime. Like you'll have a streak. I imagine where you're like crushing it with money and then everything else looks like crap. Yeah. And you'll probably make a different decision than if you're just looking at the YouTube dashboard and you're like, views. Sure, or you'll have a week like I had where I was I did two videos that smashed in a row and then Timothy Chalamet comes in, <laughs> doesn't do well. And it's like, I'm not any worse off for this. Not, nothing that I was going to do, now I can't do because I was really counting on that Timothy mm-hmm. Chalamet money. But every time I open the app, it just, just haunts me. You know what's funny is that when you'd have a bad video, that's actually an investment in your future happiness on YouTube 
Because yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's because it's, it's not even absolute. It's not like, hey, here's where you said your goal was. Were you above or below it? No, it just tells it just you relates how it you're to doing the, in the last. Yeah, 10. for those of you who don't so, know, it just ranks the most recent ten videos you did. And so, like, we had a streak where we had a bunch of like six, sevens, and eights, and then we got a one, which was beneath what a like a four would have been six months earlier. It was like number one, number one, baby. <laughs> It's also funny because it's beating several videos, but I just expected them not to do well. Life's all about expectations. When yeah. I did Ted Lasso, I said, this isn't going to okay. do well. Yeah, yeah. But I just like him. Mm -hmm. And I think leadership is a topic we don't do often. Mm -hmm. And it was great. And it did terribly views wise. And I went, that's great. And Timothy Chalamet is beating that video, but I feel worse about it. Get out of YouTube studio, man. It's, it's, it's a useful tool to pop into from time to time. And, and actually, what's funny is if you, if you enter into these, any sort of metric, this is something from a different business book, but it stuck with me, is like, there's an optimal time to check certain metrics. So if you weigh yourself every hour, that's not going to help you achieve your fitness yeah, goals. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you need to weigh yourself probably every either couple of days or week or whatever in order to, like, stay motivated and actually be getting useful feedback. Uh, yeah, popping in there all the time to see like, how's it doing this half hour? How's it doing this half yeah, hour? Yeah. You're just seeing the most recent comment, which which doesn't contribute to you actually understanding the long-term health of the channel at all. And you get, that's, you know, that's of course the same thing with news, which is like, if you're checking the news every day on the news cycle, you're actually very uninformed yeah. as to what matters in the world. I was, it's actually interesting. I was, I was thinking about this because uh, I was looking at some news stuff just to figure out what we we're going to talk about today. And I feel like the news buckets into different camps you know there's some news stories that might tell you what's happening in the world but there's other news stories that i would call anecdotal that just tell you about one thing that happened in one town that if you read about them or watch them can convince you that that's yeah. something that's happening frequently mm -hmm. but it's absolutely not it's well, just an anecdote that the news happened to pick up because it's salacious isn't, and it doesn't isn't every news story about one thing that happens though you know what i mean like isn't september 11th just one thing that happens somewhere in the world well, I, this is going to be a spicy take, but I actually think that it's a little bit weird how much emphasis we put on 9-11 and then not on the war that subsequently lost so many more U.S. Uh -huh. lives and civilian lives. And also, I was reading international news around that time, and people were saying, you know, this is, it's, it's a tragedy, but also weird that America acts like this doesn't happen in other countries mm -hmm. all the time. So, yeah, 9-11 is an isolated incident. Well, that's kind of what I'm saying is that is that everything is every news report is a thing that happened one somewhere. It's not well, like Well, I mean I would argue trend. actually like if you're keeping up to date on COVID uh research and like COVID vaccine research as new information comes out for Pfizer and Moderna that's more <laughs> actionable and it tells you about the state of mm -hmm. scientific rigor that's being done on the vaccine. Like that feels more useful and more representative of potentially so the news reality can, so what you're saying is the news can report on events that happen in which case that's a thing or it can report on aggregates of data and share with you the sure story. and i guess everything's a thing my so let me try to say this again the, who won the u.s presidency is not an anecdote mm -hmm. like that's a major event that will affect the next four years and so when the news reports on who won the presidency that to me feels like real news versus a shark attack in North Carolina, mm -hmm. which is just salacious, but actually, if you you could report on every shark attack that there was and think there was a major shark attack problem, mm -hmm. but there's not. You're just missing out on all the stuff not being covered. Got it. So I, I would just I understand what you're saying. I think it's just it's that 
you know, everything is an event that occurs and we can use the term anecdote to, to talk about it. And even the presidency is like, that's a thing that happens somewhere in the world. And what you're saying is some of it matters <laughs> and some of it doesn't and is intended to give you a broad, it's, it's intended, the shark attack thing, like the presidential story, makes you think this matters and has uh, is indicative of large-scale changes to come and things you need to concern yourself with for the future in and order I to think make intelligent decisions. You, I think can convince you of things that aren't, it can change. It can change how we talked about this before. It just warps your view of reality, yeah, yeah. and I think to a degree that distances itself from true reality. If that is such a thing, well, I would even, and I think you probably would agree that to a large degree, for many people, and this is not universally true, but neither is this true of shark attacks. Somebody will get attacked. Uh, who the U.S. president is for many people, if you didn't tell them, they wouldn't know. You know what I mean? Like if if they if if every news thing was bleeped, censored, concerned. Like they might guess. So they make abortion illegal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then yeah. you go to get an abortion. Hasn't happened in it federally. You know what I mean? That hasn't happened. All right. Like maybe your tax is going to jump three points and you could be like, it was a Democrat. I knew it. I knew it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but um, it is widely, uh, and that's not to say that, you know, these things can't have compounding effects that matter in the long term. But uh, I do think that people are the weirdly. Problem with, the problem with presidency is everyone once in a while, it will matter. Like yeah. if Al Gore had won, Maybe we wouldn't have gone oh, to war sure. in Iraq. And so maybe actually two trillion dollars could have been saved. Yeah. yeah. So I think it is. It's like you can't. Some presidents are like other presidents, <laughs> and it doesn't matter. And then you're like, okay, sometimes the face of the world has changed forever because yeah. of who won a presidency. So. Yeah, and which is also scary because it's like neither of them campaigned on not entering into the war if we were attacked. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody like advertised that or knew that was coming. Um, well, who knew that he was still upset about his dad going to war? You know? Yeah. Who could have thought? Yeah. Went to finish the job. Um, but random psychology of money thing. I mentioned this to you, actually. We don't necessarily need to go into it. But this this did stick with me, and I've seen it in my own life, that everybody has different money beliefs, and I see this in business, and certain ones have helped other people. Some people are more fearful, and some people are more tight. Some people believe things will always work out. And obviously, a lot of that is due to early childhood experiences. Mm-hmm. But the early childhood experiences are very, very determined by the generation you were born in. Um, so my dad and I for years have like disagreed about money. But if you just blanked out our faces and names, you could ex- absolutely guess who was born sure. <laughs> in, in the late fifties and who was born in the late eighties. It's just so obvious. You know, he's like, you got to invest in the stock market. You got to do this. They wanted me to take like a, be a doctor when I was growing up. Just all of the things from their generation that made sense. Well, yeah, you couldn't have a charisma on command without the internet. Exactly. So it's a terrible call to quit your job and move to Brazil to start a business if yeah. there's no internet. I was going to play video games professionally. And I was like, ha ha, who's going to do, you know, nobody's going to pay you to do that. You got to go out. And not that he was, uh, not that I foresaw the advent of Twitch and YouTube. Yeah. But the good news is you would never have been good enough to be a professional <laughs> video game player anyway. I, yeah. I do feel, actually, this is something I, I'm noticing there's so many people who want to be the next ninja for mm-hmm. streaming or they want to be the next Mr. Beast mm-hmm. or they want to be the next whatever. And because there's not an obvious physical difference, like with Shaquille O'Neal, mm-hmm. they think, oh, I could have if I had just. And Mr. Beast is just as different from the average person as Shaquille O'Neal. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And the professional video game players, they're not just guys who were good at it when they were six. People are go, oh my God, I was so good at Halo when I was a kid. I just sort of stuck with it. No, <laughs> you were never, ever, ever going to beat these people who train like it's a sport unless you were going to train 12 hours a day like it's a sport. What? And I think it's, uh, it involves other things. Like it involves 
hand-eye coordination, or it involves fast twitch thumb well, yeah, muscles yeah. in a way that people aren't measuring because it's not as visible as... Nobody height. knows what it is. Because what, what you're saying is that Mr. Beast has innate qualities that predispose him to succeed in this particular field. Mm-hmm. And with Shaq, it's like, yeah, I can see that quality. It's called being seven foot three, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, and I know that I don't have it. I don't even think we actually know the quality that Mr. Well, Beast has. That for video like- games, though, there I mean, there is a reaction time mm-hmm. thing and there is a spatial relations thing and a peripheral vision thing. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that anyone can just decide to be the world's best Fortnite player. Mm-hmm. But I think the illusion is that anyone can be that person. Mm-hmm. And so then you, you basically have a bunch of people that think that they can be the next ninja or the next Mr. Beast just if they had only tried a little bit harder, yeah. not realizing that, it's it's as likely as being the next LeBron, mm-hmm. but but you can spot that you're not very early. <laughs> you can tell sure. you're not the next LeBron, and with with Fortnite, you're like, ah, if I just started a little bit earlier, or just you know, played a little bit harder. Um, another thing that we've talked about in the past is that this just mentions an anecdote of John Bogle, who is uh, the Vanguard guy. He's mm-hmm. he's uh, I think it's Vanguard, right? And his whole thing is like diversify ETFs, all that kind of stuff, and he's been on that. But apparently, again, according to the psychology of money, he got wealthy off of over, uh, kind of over indexing into one stock early in his life, which was Geico. <laughs> nice. And it's, we've talked about this, like Tony Robbins' book on money is 700 pages. Doesn't talk about entrepreneurship, which is mind boggling. Cause it's like, Tony, you didn't get rich off compound interest. Stop it. You got rich. Well, to be fair, what your advice is in investing, Warren Buffett says this. People are like, How, what should I invest in? He goes, well, you can either dedicate your entire life to picking the right stocks or you can put it in the S&P 500. Yes. So I think potentially Vogel's advice is, or Vogel's advice is, unless you're going to suss out the next Geico through three months of research and reading cash flow statements and doing discounted cash flow models, just diversify and then get back to living your life. Well, I believe he had a quote that even acknowledged, like he's like, I was lucky, like that big. And, yeah. I, and basically what... What I think is true after reading several of these things and, and thinking about the math of it is that there are two phases. If, if you're money interested oriented, there's two phases. There's the acquiring that first sum mm-hmm. and then there's the growing it and expanding it. And a lot of the people that have a lot often talk about what they're doing now, which is like diversifying and putting it in all these different places and, and enjoying their living off the principle. And it's like, mm-hmm. yeah, that only works because you were an entrepreneur, got incredibly lucky or, or, or something else. And you're writing to a bunch of people who haven't got that first big chunk, uh, you know, and retiring with 3 million in the bank when you're 65 years old after a ton of inflation, isn't that, uh, awesome of a thing to advise and I, and I just feel like a lot of the money advice has missed the mark and this kind of well, I have good news for you out. a lot of the money advice today is not that at all so yeah. if your concern <laughs> is that a lot of the money advice people are getting is to diversify into ETFs That's you fair. sleep easy my man that was my money sleep advice. easy yes yes it's NFTs that's the <laughs> advice everyone's getting on TikTok and YouTube and Instagram so um you're good yes fair enough so that was some of my thoughts on psychology of money. I'm, I don't know if I'm going to continue. I, I'm surprised. I thought it was about your own money beliefs. It sounds like it's much more anecdotal about history. It's about people's money beliefs. It's about the things that people do. And I actually, it's, I prefer the books that are a bit more philosophical about it, a bit more woo-woo. I like The Soul of Money, which is, which is like, look, let the money flow. Given, given it shall come back, I have no science to prove this, but like here's three anecdotes. And I like that. <laughs> you know what I mean? That, that, that's, I prefer that too. That's why they cover shark attacks in the news. Yes. <laughs> um, and that's, I prefer to live that way. So actually I like, 
I wanted to get a few more anecdotes for the cast. I'm like, I don't actually want this type of thing. Not that it's a horrible book or anything, but it was the implicit goal is that you need to grow and accrue wealth. Mm. And I'm like, I'm not, I just obviously don't 100% agree with that. I'm interested. The psychology of money is fascinating to me, but probably not going to complete it. Um, so a couple other things. I watched the Dave Chappelle special. Mm-hmm. Did you watch it? You watched it. Nope. You didn't finish it. Nope. We only watched a piece of it. Watched the first 20 minutes and then I lost interest. Yeah. So there's what I, the, the part that I thought was interesting is that, so he does the special and predictably people like it. Critics often don't. Rotten Tomatoes isn't as bad as the last one, but it's the same sort of thing, which is high audience scores, low critic scores. Mm-hmm. I read one of the critical critic scores cause I was curious. And one of the lines is about, because uh, he, he has a large section on trans people. Some people feel like it's friendly joking. Some people feel like it's attacking. But what this person says is that uh, trans people have no foothold and they have no power, so he's attacking them. And what Dave Chappelle in the special kind of sets himself up is like black people have no power. And I just noticed that there is this race in modern society, and I think probably for a long time, to be weak. Like, to portray oneself as beleaguered. Uh, I wonder if that's not a Christian ethic. Because this is what Nietzsche said, by the way. Yeah, yeah. I, have you read gonna, that? Yes, that's what I was yeah, going to yeah. say. Is I, I bet in the Romans' time period that w- there wasn't a race to be weak because they There was no protection for the, the weak. strong. There yeah, was no protection. Exactly. <laughs> it's like... It w- so, so if people don't know, the quick version is that uh, a theory is that Christianity came out of uh, being an antithesis to the Roman philosophy Romans were about strength and power and obviously a lot of people in the empire weren't doing well so that ethos did not appeal to them so Christianity uh, came out of those people needing a religion for them for the meek shall inherit the earth and they're you know a wealthy man has the same amount of chance of getting into heaven as a camel going through the eye of a needle all that came from being the opposite of the Roman mythology basically Mm -hmm. so I think in ancient Rome probably there was not a race to be weak because being weak just meant you sucked and the gods did not love you and you were not going to do well in this life or the next. Mm -hmm. But I think potentially because we, as much as we try to deny it, are a largely Christian-based country that even for atheists, that that thought process and belief system gets in there. Mm -hmm. That is, that the weak are to be listened to and protected and valued and almost over-protected and over-listened to because they are weak and, and if we don't listen to them, they can't do it themselves, Mm -hmm. whereas the powerful can be ignored and fought against because they're powerful, they're going to get their way anyway. Well, yeah, there's there's this, um, there's whatever the ethic is, it's like with weakness comes power. With uh, being able to claim that someone has been mean to you puts you in a position of power over them because now you get to return that and they can't, do or say or uh, which wasn't always the case when I was growing up saying that a bully was mean to you just got <laughs> other kids to bully you because yeah. you were too weak to protect yourself yeah so I think that's a that's a even in a Christian country it seems like that's it's a, a surging it's a surging coming more yeah. and more that that a kid on a schoolyard could possibly use the fact that they were being bullied as a position of power mm-hmm. is mind-boggling and I think it does happen today I think yeah. you say this person's bullying me and they're calling me gay and then people will come to your aid, like even your peers. You don't even need to get a teacher necessarily. Mm-hmm. That would never, ever have happened when I was growing up. Yeah. Well, and, and obviously, like, look, both ethics are screwy. Like, oh, I'm strong, therefore I get to do whatever I want is dumb. And, oh, I'm weak, therefore I get to pay you back and you can't. Like, that's dumb. What what it ought to be is a, a separate measurement of right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know anybody, what I mean? If anybody, no matter how strong or weak they are, does this thing, yeah. is it a thing we want people yeah, to yeah. be punished for, rewarded for? Yes, and I... 
I, I enjoyed the special. I actually laughed, laughed a bunch, but I, some of the jokes for me, like didn't, didn't feel grounded enough in truth. And, and his, his take on it wasn't sarcastic enough for me to find it funny because he was talking about like, if he gets in an argument with, with a gay person, how is he, how is the cops going to react to him as a black man? And I, I was like, you have $50 million, you're Dave Chappelle. Like, what <laughs> are you talking about? And it wasn't said uh, sarcastically. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, I, I can't connect with the basis of this joke because the cop's going to ask for your autograph. I, I can't get into this at this point. Yeah, I think his childhood has, has deeply affected him. And I don't think he's updated necessarily for his wealth his and His personal position yeah. of, of uh, no cop's going to fuck with you, man. When was the last time a cop fucked with you? Like, I, I, I was, yeah, there was just parts where I was just confused as I watched this. I was like, I don't know how you crafted this scenario um, as, and didn't frame it as something that was just totally silly absurd, in which case I could have got on board and, and laughed mm-hmm. along with it. But yeah, just that, that ethic of, again, it's, it's not that we need to return to the ethic of strong is better. It's that we want to return to an ethic of like, hey, let's forget who's strong. Let's forget who's weak. Let's have independent criteria for judging how we resolve our differences uh, independent of who is weak and strong. And, 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 you know, I think that actually is how a lot of people, it's the shortcut, and I realize I did it back in the day. So, like, without knowing a ton about Israel or Palestine, I still don't. As a college student, I, was, I sided with Palestine because the Palestinians were the smaller of the two, and Israel was uh, stronger. And I didn't know anything about it, and also that was the social thing to do. Today, I don't have an opinion on it because I go— Okay, Israel's got more than Palestine, you know, the other thing. But also, interestingly, at the time, the counter to what I was saying was not, no, that's not true for X, Y, Z reasons. It's actually Israel's weak because all of the other mm-hmm. nations around them add up together to be stronger. And it's like no one is talking about, uh, or very few people were talking about right, wrong, you know, yeah. that sort of thing. And it's, I guess it's just a, it's a heuristic that people have learned implicitly to use, which is find whoever in some interaction lacks strength and assume that they need protecting advantage and are justified in their in their action well i think israel and palestine <laughs> gets people confused for two reasons one is no it's been happening for a very long time and no mm-hmm. one knows all of the events and mm-hmm. so depending on where you draw the line you say let's start keeping track of what happened from this yeah, year yeah, yeah this yeah. year <laughs> oh my god well the first horrible thing that happened was done by palestine <laughs> well let's do it by this year well the first horrible thing that happened was done by yeah. israel and so they they don't actually know enough to even know what precipitated the thing that they mm-hmm. didn't like. Mm-hmm. And my understanding is that both parties have done some shitty things. And then the other thing that's happening that uh, makes it difficult is Palestine isn't necessarily a united thing. And so maybe you're negotiating something with one group and another group does something. And it it kind of fucks up what you're trying to work towards, which is peace. And some people want a two-party state and some people don't. They want to push Israel to the ocean. And I'm sure in Israel, some people want a two-party state and some people say, no, mm-hmm. fuck all these people. And so you have multiple parties representing it. And so you go, well, what is, like when you're saying I'm pro-Palestine, like, well, you're probably not pro-Hamas. So what do you mean when you say Palestine? You're pro the Palestinian people being safe and having a place to live. I think everybody is pro that. And if you say you're pro-Israel, you're probably not pro every single thing they've done. And so, yeah, that, that issue is just one where no one seems to really know all the details, but has a strong opinion anyway because mm-hmm. of some small portion of knowledge that they have. Yeah. Well, and I think, unfortunately, that it seems it seems that some uh, disagreements in the world, politics, et cetera, are, like, semantic. And it's like, oh, actually, there's enough for everybody. And it seems like this particular one is like, no, I want that spot, and I want that spot. And 
Uh, I don't want another spot. Like it seems that there is a uh, limited resource that both, if you could view them as two parties, even though you point out that they're not just two parties, mm-hmm. uh, want exclusive or primary access. They're also constantly too. making agreements and then changing their minds. Like the, the idea that they haven't drawn a, a line that the power, the most powerful party for each country has agreed and shook hands and signed a treaty and said, mm-hmm. here's the line. Yeah. And then one of them comes back and wants to push it one direction or the other. Mm-hmm. Like that is what's happening. So it's not that they don't ever chunk it up. It's that they change their minds on what is a fair amount for them to have. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that is the same problem that you pointed out before, which is like maybe that one guy who made the agreement was cool with it forever, but he doesn't represent everyone. And like, you know, t- and things. Well, they don't have a centralized government in the way like, and I think this is the tough part with the amorphousness of Palestine. Like Canada isn't trying to take parts of Michigan because there's just this long-standing imaginary line that we have. Mm-hmm. And because there's one U.S. government and one Canadian government. But they, they, it is akin to that. It's akin to drawing the line and saying, hey, we actually want a little bit of, of what's happening up in Canada. So just give us a little bit more. But that conversation never happens because it's considered absurd for us because the lines existed for so long and there's only two governing bodies interacting. But even when the people in the Palestinian government try to do something, there's just other factions in Palestine that don't agree with it. Mm-hmm. You know, freedom fighters or terrorists, depending on who you, you know, what, what, what side of the aisle you're on. But yeah. yeah, it makes it really hard to have the line be permanent enough to then set in and just be like any other country where it's considered a war if you try to take more yeah, than yeah. your and, imaginary and, line. And, and well, the agreement is uh, tacitly understood between U.S. and Canada on both sides, even though that border was not always fixed. You know what I mean? There was probably a time of uh, skirmishes on either side or people trying to figure out territories or settle in. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment your work stress disappears as you kayak through the canyons. Or the moment you discover the life-changing effects of prickly pear chocolate. But nothing beats the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the very first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Are you saying Los Angeles was not always part of the United States of America? <laughs> I was driving. Where were we? Just looking at all of the Spanish named. I was just, stuff. At, I was just at Trancas Park. Yeah, and I was just like, "This is, this is Mexico." Yeah, <laughs> sure was. Sure was. Yeah. So, another random. Uh, this government stuff, state government, telling private businesses what to do about COVID, is no bueno. <laughs> uh, it's not good in California. It's not good in Texas. And I uh, could imagine a virus that necessitated federal state level mandates at private business. Mm-hmm. It's not that I have a hard set principle, which is the government cannot uh, infringe on the private businesses, whatever. Like I could imagine the bubonic plague and there's a resistance up against people dealing with it. We go, okay, we need to, we need to do something. But for COVID, uh, I, I cannot, 
I guess, believe? Is that the right word? That oh, you can, no, no, you should believe in COVID. It's no, a- no, no. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm uh, stunned and shocked that, that mandating that public officials do something or don't do something and mandating that this occur at a certain time and in public schools. But, but to go into a private business, a private gym, and say, well, let me- you have to check people's vaccines or you cannot check people's vaccines is, like, who wants their government making that choice not knowing which side they're going to land on. So I think that's interesting because, and I don't disagree, but there's a piece of news that I had found that I was going to bring up that is kind of contradictory to that. I'm curious how you, sure. how you square the two. France is banning plastic packaging for most fruits and vegetables. So you cannot individually wrap an apple anymore. Uh, you can't like pre-slice an orange and then put it in a plastic package with a plastic seal and type inside of a yeah. cardboard box. I think that's great. Uh, I like the idea of it, we've talked before about how often people will claim that they want something like higher pay for Amazon workers, but then don't boycott Amazon. And sometimes the answer is actually just to have the government demand Amazon pay its workers more and have prices increase and people stomach the increase. So you're saying raise the minimum wage, basically? Yeah, for the Amazon... Well, no, sorry. I'm saying that people... Not, I'm, I don't know anything about it to know actually how I feel about it, but that there's a lot of people who claim that Amazon's workers are mistreated and underpaid. And if you raise that the minimum wage... They want yeah. those people to make more money, but not enough to stop shopping at Amazon to force it with their behavior. Mm-hmm. But if the government were to intervene and make them pay more higher prices because it would get passed through to them, they would think it was a good thing net, even though they were paying more. But if there was another company that didn't have that rule, they would start shopping there. So the government has to raise that on everybody evenly because people individually will just flow towards the cheapest product that right. gets delivered the in fastest the, with the hardest worked workers. In, in the same way, I would say, let's say that French people, when you survey them, say they yeah. want plastics gone. Not to be in, like they don't want to take a fruit like an apple that is already self-contained or an orange that's already self-contained, have it chopped up and then put into a plastic cup into a cardboard box. They don't like it, mm-hmm. but they buy it for their kids because it's easy and they're, they're just not thoughtful or necessarily even moral in their day to day. But when the law passes, they approve of the law. Mm-hmm. So there seems to be times where people support the government telling private businesses what, what to, to do. do. This is the same way we got rid of child labor in the US. That is the government telling companies what they can't do because otherwise people clearly will still buy Nike. They actually don't stop buying things even though they don't like child labor. So I'm curious, COVID is obviously a distinct and polarizing issue, but when is it okay for a government to tell a private business what to do? Because sometimes we think it's great. Yeah. And when is it inappropriate? Yeah, I don't know. And it's worth thinking about, do I have principles of like okay 50 percent of the population is in danger up to a degree that could take seven to ten years well, off their t- life let's say on child average. labor no children will die i guarantee yeah. you no children will die yeah but we're gonna let anyone who's over five work if their parents will volunteer them and they're willing to mm-hmm. and they do not get a minimum wage because they're under 18 yeah do we want that law in the u.s well i i am not a libertarian in the sense that like i my goal is not for the smallest government possible, let people do what's possible, exactly for these reasons. Right, right. So what I'm saying is interesting is COVID is so divisive, but there isn't, we don't uniformly believe that government shouldn't tell private businesses no, what no, to do. I, we I, actually like sometimes when the government this forces is, their ethics on corporations. Yeah, this is the art of government. I think this is the hard part is that 
I don't know that I could draw an effective scientific line on where government ought to and mm-hmm. where they oughtn't get involved. And I actually think as uh, culture changes, that line needs to move because I don't think that the government in uh, Rome or the 1700s should have said no child over under the age of 16 or something can work. I think, you know what I mean? So like that needs to develop over time. And if we were in a world where we had cured death basically of every other cause and COVID existed, I might be for vaccine passports being mandated, mm-hmm. but that's just not the world we live in. People die all the time of a hundred different things and we don't check their vaccines in these private sorts of... So my comment that we shouldn't mandate or block checking passports, uh, vaccine passports in private businesses is relative to our current culture and our current, you know, rate of death for, as, as other things. It's, it's a very particular claim. So uh, how do I come to that? I mean, I don't want them checking for my flu vaccine. I suppose I would want them checking for the bubonic plague vaccine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and COVID, to me, given my understanding of the deaths and, and how it affects people and the ability to mitigate risk with masks and the fact that you can have a vaccine if you so choose and be in a private business or not go out if you are threatened by it, uh, makes it fall on the other line. And I don't know that I can come up. I can come up with broad reasons, but I can't draw that line for you perfectly. Mm-hmm. Well, I think the, and this is the, that is informed by your, the weird thing is we can't agree on how big a deal COVID is. And that, that belief is informed by your belief about how big a deal COVID is. Which is, and but it, certainly if you were one of the people that thought that mm-hmm. this was a microchip designed to make you infertile yeah. so that we could control overpopulation, you would be absolutely yeah, yeah. adamant that the government do what Texas is doing. And if you thought that this was the leading cause of death in the U.S. and will continue to be for well, years. Actually, we don't if, get even it. if I thought it was a microchip, I don't think I'd want. Uh, I, like you, I still think people in private businesses can check for microchips. It's not checking. Want. Just to be clear, it's mandating. They're they're saying that you can't man. Texas didn't say you can't. Oh check. no no! They like if, you, if I have a gym and I'm a gym owner and I want everyone who comes into my gym to have a government injected chip. What Texas said was you, you can't cannot require your employees to get the vaccine. Oh, it's employees. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. I was even thinking. No, what, no, what they is said, it not towards, is it, well, correct me if I'm wrong. I might've misunderstood this. Is it not for patrons as well? I mean, maybe I they're thought passing it was multiple for patrons. things. I the, thought it was for patrons. No, the too. thing, the thing they, so the government said. I might've misunderstood. The federal government said, maybe I got it wrong. The federal government said that we are going to demand that people that work at federal agencies have vaccines correct and the texas government said no and they tried to pass a state law that would make it so that people didn't have to get the vaccine to keep their job and for private businesses as well yes that you can't mandate your employees get vaccinated yes yes Yes. um yeah i'm not sure that they're saying they're saying it is illegal to demand that your employees get a vaccine or else be fired Mm mm-hmm yeah the employment and the employment thing adds another wrench into it because obviously uh selecting where to work out, where to eat food is is one level of uh, inconvenience and disruption to one's life and getting a new job <laughs> is is at a different level. So I'd have to think personally about where, how that, how that. I could be wrong. That's the, that's the one I saw at least. Mm-hmm. Um, but you had said something that, that I wanted to respond to. I can't remember, unfortunately. Um, oh, it was the, to your earlier point about how we can't agree on how serious it is. This is because no one is doing, or very few, no, this is the human brain. It's not, we don't do statistics. We do, uh, how frequent do I hear anecdotes? And mm-hmm. when the news becomes, you know, you, you know, someone that is close to you that watches a ton of news and is convinced that the only, essentially the only thing that kills people is COVID. 
and has never expressed the sort of uh, reluctance to engage in semi-risky activity. But when it comes to COVID, masks, vaccines, can't go to public places, can't do anything uh, that is totally out of proportion with the risk that they'd be willing to take in terms of like eating red meat. (laughs) I I know people who will, even though they're vaccinated and everyone going is also vaccinated, won't go in a room with someone if they've been to a event that demanded a vaccine card. So just to make that, so like I go to a conference, everyone there's vaccinated, but there's a lot of people there. Mm -hmm. And then I go to hang out with this person. They'll say, no, even though I'm vaccinated, they're vaccinated. Everyone I was with is vaccinated Mm -hmm. because of the potential for a Delta variant. If we went to dinner and I had three drinks over the course of two hours and then offered to drive, like I drove there and then was driving back, they wouldn't get an Uber. They just get in my car while I was three drinks. <laughs> yeah, in. Yeah. So, like, so yes, that, just to illustrate the point, like it's, it's not that they're making sure that their chance of death is zero for everything. Yes. But they want to make sure there's a 0% chance they die of COVID, mm-hmm. but they'll die in a drunk driving accident with me if I'm four drinks in. Yeah, you, it's which I don't up. do, by the through, way, because yeah. I don't drink and drive. Um, so yeah, so that and that's that's the other problem is that what we're not acknowledging collectively is that we're not reducing the risk of death. We're not doing this. We're reacting to very particular stimuli on our squawk boxes and uh, forming broad opinions about the world based on that. Sure, and, and also a and then screaming people, at each other. A ton of people have died from COVID, though. Yeah, I think yeah, there yeah. are people who. I mean, to your point, sure, it's an anecdote, but like. You know, there's people who have lost multiple loved ones to COVID. Mm-hmm. They think it's a very, very, very big deal, and it's very important that people treat it as such. Mm-hmm. And and then the question is, obviously, you know, it, it goes without saying that that people within the context of their own lives, we want to be able to make as many decisions without government interference as possible. Now, when does the government interfere? And to me, it's not for a disease with the with this death rate, with this risk rate. Um, that's that's not where I draw the line. And if other people do, I'd prefer that that be the conversation and that we could then look at comps, meaning we could then be like, okay, like if COVID is this dangerous and you're this concerned and the flu is one-tenth as dangerous or whatever, like can we take one-tenth of those measures for the flu? Well, why not? You know what I mean? All right, if you know what I mean? And, and start to form some principled decision-making based on risk of death and not just reacting to one thing that you are frequently told is is dangerous. Um, but so, yeah, for in this particular case, COVID in the world that we live in, I, I don't think that state government should be telling private businesses that they must screen for vaccines, nor that they can't screen for vaccines. Mm-hmm. Just um, a quick one on conv- conviction for COVID. You see Kyrie Irving? Oh, wow. Let's see if he, well, a lot of talk, but let's see. He might have it. You might well, have so, conviction. yeah, just in terms of who thinks COVID's a really big deal, as of now, Kyrie Irving is not playing for his team. Which is a championship team. <laughs> it's, it's a champion team, but also if he doesn't play this year, he for, foregoes $20 million. But beyond that, he was up for an extension, which mm-hmm. I didn't realize, $180 million, wow. which he may not get now, which means even if he does come back and play halfway through the season, he just might not have that guaranteed $200 million, which is an incredible, even for someone that wealthy, an incredible show of conviction, which is yeah. to say, I don't probably agree with anything that Kyrie Irving believes, <laughs> but he clearly actually believes it very, very strongly. And it's an, it's an interesting look into how much people do not want to get this vaccine. Cause even when I was like, I'm not going to get it, it was, I'm not going to get it. Cause I think there's a small chance that it's not 
going to be good for me. I'm not going to react well. And there's a small chance that COVID won't be good. And mostly for me, and based on my demographic, I'm going to be fine if I get the vaccine or get COVID. Yeah. And so that was my thought. His is clearly getting the COVID vaccine is awful. Mm -hmm. That's what he thinks because he's at at the moment, he seems uh, poised to forego $200 million just to avoid getting it. Yeah, that's wild. I read a comment. I don't know enough about sports entertainment or what it says about Kyrie or who Kyrie is as a person, but it was just that uh, this guy really wants to be a martyr. Do you find that at all true about his past behavior as it relates to this? Because you're saying it's incredible conviction, and I totally agree, but he seems more willing to step up to these, like, I'll I'll be Spartacus-type moments than, than other people. No one really knows what Kyrie thinks about the vaccine because he hasn't spoken it outright. Yeah. And so for a while, he didn't say anything, but he would like Facebook posts that talked about how it was, the vaccine was actually a microchip that was being controlled by the Illuminati in order to set black people up for a satanic ritual. Mm -hmm. Like, and he's just liking a bunch of Instagram posts that said that. And it's like, is this what Kyrie believes? Is he being sarcastic? Who knows? His PR agency has now come out and said the reason he's doing it isn't because he's worried about the vaccine. It's because he wants to stand with other people who are losing their jobs because of vaccine mandates. And he wants to be a voice for the voiceless. Mm -hmm. If you're going to be a voice for the voiceless, you have to speak. And he has said nothing. He's literally speaking through his agent for that press release. So Kyrie actually hasn't really made it clear why he's doing this. Just that he has a lot of Conviction. Conviction. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't think he's doing it well. If you want to be yeah. a voice for the voiceless, you speak. Speak more. So, yeah, I, I don't know what his beliefs are because he's purposefully, to this point, not stated them overtly. And mm-hmm. and I think a lot of people don't necessarily buy that PR spin. They think it's just his agent trying to come out and explain, do damage control. Explain what seems like a, and you know, maybe is not a very consistent. Yeah, he, he also, we've also talked about this before. People, there are people who are prone to conspiracy. There's certain people who believe, quote unquote, consensus, except for in one regard. They think 9-11 was an inside job, mm-hmm. but they don't think that AIDS was created by the government. And they don't think mm-hmm. that uh, the earth is flat. And then there's other people who think it all. And I, Kyrie was a flat earther. I don't know if he still is or not. So I think he has a propensity to believe in conspiracy. My guess is he has a propensity to doubt and dislike authority. So, you know, who knows? <laughs> He's very interesting. And of course, the truth has, uh, you know, authority is uh, a heuristic that has nothing to do with the veracity of something. It's a <laughs> shortcut to trying to figure out truth. It is not. Yeah, authority can lie to you and can tell you the truth. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I, we, yeah, all, we all use it, but it's not the best. He's a stark contrast to Ben Simmons, who said he was going to hold out all year and forego <laughs> millions of dollars. And then literally one paycheck got withheld and he showed whoa, whoa, right back up. Whoa. He said, wait a second. <laughs> You guys are actually going to keep my money if I don't work? I thought that was a bluff. Yeah. And just show, literally showed up right away before the preseason even ended. So they're, they're two stark contrasts in conviction uh-huh. between Kyrie and Ben Simmons. So Yeah, I don't know enough about it. I'm sure that there's another person that could have an interesting conversation, but I don't, I don't know that, anything about it. Um, I have one, I think one more random thing. This one is grinding my gears. <laughs> <laughs> so YouTube has this thing, and they've had it, where you can optionally give them your demographic information. What they say, this is in quotes, so I believe I got it exactly. The information you provide will not be used to impact an individual content's performance in YouTube systems. 
we want to ensure our systems do not reflect unintentional bias. The data from creator demographics will be used to evaluate parts of YouTube, such as our search, discovery, and monetization systems. If we do find errors that affect certain communities, we'll focus on improving the training of our systems to make them more accurate and inclusive. And that's just ridiculous. It like one of the first, like this isn't going to affect you, but we're going to change things based on the results that you give. Yeah, it's yeah, just yeah. like what a what a double speak nonsense. Yeah. Listen, this isn't going to affect you. We're just going to look into some stuff and then make it harder for white people videos to get viewed. Well, so we is, need to know your race. Well, here's the but thing. it's not going to affect you. We just want to know your race so that we can see if you're white. Yes. So, and, and it's so obvious what's going to happen if, if the changes that are made. Like, first off, why is the demographic data, and I'll say this a hundred times, that they want race, gender, sexual orientation, and then maybe disability? Like, why not income or veteran status or if you had an abusive parent or like there's a lot of people who have been marginalized in the world sure. uh, for a lot of different things. How many of your that, parents were drug addicts? Yeah, yeah. There's there's a ton of things that you could, that you could, you know, are you an ex-addict? All of these kinds of things could be used to, you could check on yeah, that, yeah, but the dude, only we, ones that we care about constantly are these these ones where we have lots of people in position of privilege that that check all of the boxes, and a lot of people outside of actual privilege that don't check any of these mm-hmm. these boxes. Um, and to be clear, I check all of the like, I I I'm, have the demographics for that YouTube is uh, about to discriminate against, but I also am in a position of privilege mostly because lucky draw with genetics and family, like and year born, like those those are as far as I can tell, the biggest uh, advantages that I've had mm-hmm. by far. And people that didn't get those three but still, you know, are white, straight males are in a way worse spot um, than, than many other people. And then also, like, how are you going to determine whether it's inclusive? Is it the number of creators compared to the population, the number of creators on the platform relative to the number of videos made? Like, this is, it's just absurd. And I'm so, I am getting tired of this ridiculous... Um, these, this poor reasoning, I suppose, <laughs> this ideological, and I hate using that word because it's used as a cudgel so many times, and if anyone disagreed with me, I would be happy to explain why, but I've done it many times before on the podcast. Uh, it's just, I, again, I, I don't want to rephrase these arguments, so I, I'm sorry to resort to insults. This is not good. <laughs> this is uh, literally, and, and what will they do if whatever the metric that they set is like, we're going to check, you know, to make sure that it's this. What if black women are overrepresented? Keep it. Will, will we keep it or will we adjust no, so that, it. yeah, exactly. Uh, I, would bet, like, I would bet all of my money. <laughs> 150%. So we're only interested in adjusting one way. But it's like, what if it reflects unintentional bias in a way that you want? So you, there's intentional bias if you're unwilling to change <laughs> it in a certain direction. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's... It's crazy, man. And just to be clear, though, no one from YouTube would even deny that. They would just look you right in the face and go, "Yeah." And then that's they would. The point. And then what they say is, "This is based on history." And again, we could have the whole conversation about history because it's not based on history. You know, the, again, I don't, I, I don't want to uh, have an argument with a, a ghost straw man in my head. Uh, I would love for someone who believed this to come on the podcast and talk to me about it. But man, I read this and it's, uh, it sucks. I think I've mentioned it, but totally fine. Uh, I'm going to be okay. The first times in my life, and this is, I, I totally get it, very lucky because I want to make clear. I think that there are positions of privilege that are related to race. You know, like it's to not experience racism is a, is a lucky thing for, for people. Uh, and I mostly haven't in my life. 
I have recently. <laughs> I have been denied speaking positions ex- uh, explicitly and implicitly based on gender uh, and and race. And it's happened uh, a couple of times in the last several months. And it's totally fine. I'm okay. Uh, don't need to do anything. But I don't think that this is a an appropriate solution to Oh, it's not slowing down, dude. It's speeding up. Oh, it's certainly speeding up. And you're again, never going to speak again. I just want to clarify. <laughs> no, I'll speak. Your, I'll your speak cis white ass is never going to speak again. <laughs> I'll speak as much. No, that's not true. And I don't, let's not get, um, I know that you're just joking, but like, I'll be allowed to have this podcast, you know, and I'll be allowed to, um, you know, maybe with some ding from the algorithm once they start, <laughs> once they start taking that into account. Like I'm not, and, and luckily I've, i have I, I will still. I am successful. I will be successful in both personal and monetary terms. I've made it through. Uh, what I'm concerned about, for instance, is the guy that I told you about in the last week's podcast. Gruber, come here. Is he bothering you, Justin? <laughs> My dog is like spinning. <laughs> come here, guy. I pet him, and now he wants. Oh, to come here. A little taste. Show them who you are, boy. This is who he is. He's a real troublemaker. Um, yeah, I don't need to elaborate. Too much more, but it, it's it's a real bummer, and I wish it would stop. And I don't think it's good. And one of the reasons that not that I made the podcast, but that uh, things that I want to say on the podcast is just to raise my hand and say that I don't think that this is okay or good. And here's the reasons why. And so, if you disagree, I will tell you more of the reasons why in other podcasts. Let us know. Um, but that's it's is no bueno. That is my stand. That is my hot take. No bueno. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Riveting stuff. <laughs> I got one more thing, which I just thought was interesting. California passed a law that makes it a civil sexual battery offense for someone to engage in stealthing. You know what stealthing is? No. Removing a condom during sex without verbal consent from their partner. Hmm. The state is the first in the country to prohibit the act. And I think that's great. My question is, how do you (laughs) prove this? So I read it and, I was, and everyone was very excited about it. Like, yeah, yeah. I was like, yeah, this is great. I'm actually, ta- this is a great. Makes, I, that was my, that was my, make yeah, stealthing sure. a crime. Make yeah. stealthing a crime. Yeah, you can't remove a, con- you can't say you're going to use a condom, be having sex, then take the condom off sneakily mm-hmm. and have unprotected sex without the person knowing about it. Well, I have a couple questions. So you're going to go to court yeah. and the girl or guy, someone's going to say they removed the condom it, without te- telling me. And then the other person is going to go, nah, <laughs> unless you're, texting friends bragging about stealthing being like oh it's so great i stealthed this person yeah how is this ever going to be settled how would you possibly find someone guilty of this yeah uh i don't know i have the same reaction to you which is i think it yeah i I would actually like that to be the case that that was criminally enforced Uh, but i also want to know like is and i don't know if this is illegal like what about poking holes in a condom is that i mean we, we we know some baby traps uh that I don't know the law, but I think that should be also I illegal. agree. What about uh, saying that you've been taking your birth control when you know that you haven't? Well, this is the thing. When you know that you haven't, mm-hmm. yeah, penalize that. Make that illegal. Yeah, yeah. But now you go to court and you, she knowingly yeah. stopped taking her birth control. And she goes, I just forgot. It's not a crime to forget. Well, and I, I agree. It's not a crime. To be to clear, I don't think it should be forgot. I think it should have to be a verbal like, hey, are, have you been taking your birth control regularly? And that person says yes. You know what I mean? Like, I, I don't think it should be. Well, maybe they think yes, but they don't remember that seven days ago they forgot for two days and that throws off the whole functionality of it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because yeah. I think I think if you miss two pills, you're you're not totally off, but now you're officially like it's, off it's, base. You've hurt, yeah, you've hurt your chances. But if that happened 10 days ago and you ask someone, have you been taking your birth control? They go, yeah, the last eight days I've been taking, yeah, yeah I've been yeah. taking it. So like, I agree. Enforcement's the issue here, but I like. I mean, philosophically, it's very easy to say what yeah. should and shouldn't be the law. 
This one particular. Well, it for me, sounds said, like how as, do you? As long as nobody's this? effectively uh, proving this, then I'm actually okay. I'm okay with this. Weirdly, like the law should be on the books, and it should never work because people can just <laughs> he said she said it. I was just curious when I saw it because yeah. I was like, this sounds great. Unless somebody but, admits to it. Unless somebody's like, oh yeah, I did that. That's what like, I'm saying. <laughs> I think you, you literally are only looking at wiretapping or bra- sending bragging texts to friends. <laughs> or social media posts. People are weird, man. People, I think. Yeah, sure. Or you'd have to like make a TikTok about how yeah. great it was that you stealthed someone. Yeah. At which I, point, I that's think, evidence. I think you'll get a couple people like that. In fact, you might get more than a couple. Yeah. I Well, I mean, probably not once it's a law, but... I do think and I hope that it cuts Although both I ways, though. I take that back because people actually do TikToks of them if, doing illegal stuff all the time. It's how they get caught. I don't know if this is the case, but I will be d- disturbed by this if it doesn't include poking holes in condoms. Like, if it's if it's it says only... Either, it says either party. Okay. Uh, remove... Well, how does... I guess the woman sneakily removes a condom? How would that happen? I don't know. I mean, th- to be fair, I've, I've had condoms break and not noticed, so yeah. I'm sure potentially if I had been drinking and someone yeah. yoinked it and I didn't yeah. notice. Yeah. I might not notice till after maybe. Sure. It's not impossible. Listen, flashback to when you were 20 years old and getting really drunk, mm-hmm. you know? Maybe. Yeah, it's been a long time. I've been drunk like that. Um, no, you, I mean, hopefully you'd notice now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. Yeah, Imagine so this. You're 34. It's... You've lost all sensation in your penis. <laughs> so you have no idea what's going on down there. All right, what do we got? Anything else? No, no, I just thought that was an interesting law, and I have no idea how they'll ever prove it. Yeah, I agree. What we got, Justin? All right, we got one question. Wow, I hope it's a good one. Bringing the heat. Yep, so it's, I'm in my early 20s and moving into a sales career. While I'm great at prospecting, for example, picking up the phone and calling, I have trouble connecting with prospective clients when initially meeting them. When I'm half the age of the prospective clients, it's really hard for me to connect and be charismatic around them. I don't want to be immediately dismissed because of my age or because I don't have kids. When I'm being viewed or viewing myself as inferior based on age, attractiveness, etc., all my uh, all my charisma vanishes and I can't interact with people properly unless I'm equal to them and not feeling judged or actually being judged. Is dyeing my hair gray and makeup an option? <laughs> no. <laughs> Is a high school person? They said early twenties. Early twenties. So, and did first. they say what they're in? What particular field? Sales. Yeah, but like, do we know beyond um, that? I'm just curious. Um, they said picking up the phone and calling. I just want you to know that this is um, such a common question, which is hopefully makes you feel well that I made specific videos on it in Charisma University because what you're like when people, when I think that people will dismiss me, I get even worse and precipitate the exact thing that I'm worried about. And, you know, that is probably true that in cases people are more likely to dismiss someone young, but is absolutely not the case because there's some killer salespeople in their young 20s that go out there oh, yeah. and just crush it. Um, what I talk about in the course and I think is that if you view yourself on status hierarchies based on experience and age, you're always going to put yourself at the bottom where you belong in that status hierarchy and you're always going to feel inferior. Uh, you want to switch the way that you view it from experience age to person uh now i talked about it mostly in the context of like at a job where you're interacting with people and what that would mean is in the job is instead of constantly trying to talk about what's going on with the business like talk about family stuff outside of that stuff where you are both two humans and can relate to one another on a level that is even as opposed to emphasizing that that hierarchical difference in you um so I don't know if those sorts of things are available to you on these calls. I don't know how scripted they are, or if it's account management, or if you're... I thought um, they said they do well on calls, but not in person. Is that what it is? Sorry, I might have missed that. 
Um, they said it's just hard to connect to people that are older than them, oh, or I guess different than them. Yes. So this is the thing. Uh, I, I just had dinner last night with the landlords who one have a lot more freaking money than me. They own the home that I'm renting. Uh, are old are much older. Uh, talk to people about people things. So what are the people things? What what they love to do? What they're what they hate to do? I found out that he's really afraid of snakes. <laughs> uh, family and those sorts of things. This is this is an interesting one. There granddaughter is working at Amazon on the legend of Vox Machina. Oh, wow. And dude, my jaw dropped. I was like, oh! <laughs> I freaked out. She, she was going to come, but um, couldn't make it out to the dinner. I was like, she should come. She yeah, should definitely tragic, come. Tragic. She, should, she should come. <laughs> uh, that's a critical role thing for those of you who aren't. Uh, it's a D&D thing. But yeah, we, we didn't talk, talk about people things. You know, it, that can be the local sports team. That can be whatever things that you love, values. All those sorts of things will will connect you. And then when you get to the business stuff, you've established that that's not the only active hierarchy, that there's this human thing that you guys are already connecting. And you might have even demonstrated an area where, like, oh, they're like, oh, I don't get any of this tech stuff. And you're like, oh, I actually was just setting this up for my family the other day. And you show that that... Uh, yes, there's hierarchies where you are behind, but there's potentially others where you're far ahead. And this is actually what men do with sports is like in the office, the lowest analyst, if he watches enough sports center can be like, well, actually the fifth best center is blah, blah, blah. Whenever they're talking about who the goat is or whatever. Okay. He can, well, this is, yeah. I mean, this is also why a lot of people often hire college athletes Yeah, it's because they're, that person is very low on the totem pole except in this sport that people like, like I worked with a guy who was on the golf team and people yeah. talked about golf and he was a better golfer than all them. So when we talk about work stuff, sure, me and him are the lowest, but if golf comes up and they're talking about golfer, they go golfing together. He's, he's a pro at the top. Yeah. And then he's giving them advice on their swing. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so, so connect, if you, if you open up that person level, don't make it all about work. There's going to be areas where you're the same, which is human to human, but there might even be levels like golf where they're, they're interested in learning from you and that can change that sales dynamic a lot. Yeah, and it's also, it's not true of everyone, but there's, there are often areas where the people who are older do envy people who are younger in some areas and will mm-hmm. be interested to hear about your social life or the sports you can play that they can no longer play or whatever it might be, or just s- something that they miss from being your age, which yeah. they'll be very interested to hear about from you. So you, I think it's very important to ask them about their life, figure out what's important to them and Anytime you get someone talking about something they're excited to talk about, that's going to go well for your connection. People sure. just love to talk about the things they like to talk about. Yeah. And then on the flip side, if you can suss out what it is about your life that they want to hear about, people also like listening about topics that they are interested in. And so that's, mm-hmm. that's really what it comes down to is in terms of the connecting part, shared values and getting them enjoying the conversation by having them talking about and listening to stuff that they're excited to talk about and listen to. Yeah, and concretely, uh, the guy, the co-owner of the consulting business that I worked at who wound up giving me like the 80% raise, the remote work arrangement, uh, he, would, he, would, he was older than me, but he would get this like wistful look in his eye when I would talk about my weekend. He'd be like, mm-hmm. where'd you go? Yeah. <laughs> I'd be like, I went to Midtown. He's like, I remember Midtown. <laughs> and we used to, and so that was, you know, a little bit of vicarious uh, yeah, yeah, glory day stuff going on there. Yeah. That's it. That's it. All right. We're going to hop over to Patreon now. Hope that you guys enjoyed this. If you want to see more, we've got, what do we have, Justin? We've got questions about practicing observational humor, about nailing conversations with the higher-ups at work, and then uh, 
how to stop sacrificing yourself for others' happiness. Awesome. So that and much more, if you guys want to see it, it's on Patreon. Any level gets you access, helps us keep the podcast going, keep money in Justin's bank account. So (laughs) I hope that you guys have enjoyed this. We'll see everyone else on Patreon. Peace. mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.